Lookouts carried by the Titanic, and the lookouts didn't worry about passenger problems. They were the eyes of the ship, and on this particular night, Fleet had been warned to watch especially for icebergs. So far, so good. On duty at ten o'clock, a few words about the ice problem with lookout Reginald Lee, who shared the same watch. A few more words about the cold, but mostly just silence, as the two men stared into the darkness. Now the watch was almost over, and still there was nothing unusual. Just the night, the stars, the biting cold, the wind that whistled through the rigging as the Titanic raced across the calm black sea at twenty-two and one-half knots. It was almost 11.40 p.m. on Sunday, the 14th of April, 1912. Suddenly, Fleet saw something directly ahead, even darker than the darkness. At first it was small, about the size, he thought, of two tables put together. But every second it grew larger and closer. Quickly, Fleet banged the crow's nest bell three times, the warning of danger ahead. At the same time, he lifted the phone and rang the bridge. "'What did you see?' asked a calm voice at the other end. "'Iceberg right ahead,' replied Fleet. "'Thank you,' acknowledged the voice with curiously detached courtesy. Nothing more was said. For the next thirty-seven seconds, Fleet and Lee stood quietly side by side, watching the ice draw nearer. Now they were almost on top of it, and still the ship didn't turn.' The berg towered wet and glistening, far above the focusal deck, and both men braced themselves for a crash. Then, miraculously, the bow began to swing to port. At the last second, the stem shot into the clear, and the ice glided swiftly by along the starboard side. It looked to Fleet like a very close shave. At this moment, Quartermaster George Thomas Rowe was standing watch on the after bridge. For him, too, it had been an uneventful night, just the sea, the stars, the biting cold. As he paced the deck, he noticed what he and his mates called whiskers round the light, tiny splinters of ice in the air, fine as dust, that gave off myriads of bright colors whenever caught in the glow of the deck lights. Then suddenly he felt a curious motion break the steady rhythm of the engines. It was a little like coming alongside a dock wall rather heavily. He glanced forward and stared again. A windjammer, sails set, seemed to be passing along the starboard side. Then he realized it was an iceberg, towering perhaps one hundred feet above the water. The next instant it was gone drifting astern into the dark. Meanwhile, down below in the first-class dining saloon on D-deck, four other members of the Titanic's crew were sitting around one of the tables. The last diner had long since departed, and now the big white Jacobean room was empty except for this single group. They were dining saloon stewards, indulging in the time-honored pastime of all stewards off duty. 
They were gossiping about their passengers. Then, as they sat there talking, a faint grinding jar seemed to come from somewhere deep inside the ship. It was not much, but enough to break the conversation and rattle the silver that was set for breakfast next morning. Steward James Johnson felt he knew just what it was. He recognized the kind of shudder a ship gives when she drops a propeller blade, and he knew this sort of mishap meant a trip back to the Harland and Wolfe shipyard at Belfast, with plenty of free time to enjoy the hospitality of the port. Somebody near him agreed and sang out cheerfully, Another Belfast trip! In the galley just to the stern, Chief Night Baker Walter Belford was making rolls for the following day. The honor of baking fancy pastry was reserved for the day shift. When the jolt came...